Oh, did we get? Did we get? <laughs> yeah, it's through. It's going on. Side. We are live. Let's All right. go. We folks, we are live. Sorry, we're having just some weird technical difficulties. What really feels like a Monday is actually happening to us in studio. We're all in different places right now. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. Evan is up in New Hampshire at his new place. And Benny is over at the Graham's house right now working on the show. Anyways, we're going to bring you an incredible show. It feels weird. Like, I feel like the music is running through my head, but it never <laughs> actually played. No. Um, but we're presented by Cosmic Disc Golf tonight. Go check them out at CosmicDG.com. And we got a pretty awesome episode coming up tonight. We got Robert Robert burridge joining us later on this show around 8 to 8 15 or so he's gonna be joining us for a live interview we're gonna do some satire fiction with him um then we're also going to talk about the des moines challenge we're going to talk about our own personal tournaments i think all of us played in a tournament there was tons of things going on this last weekend and then i uh, just kind of talk about what's going on in the disc golf world today so i guess first and foremost we should say congratulations to intern ben taking down a tournament this last weekend at the Capital Discs Open in the AM2 division. AM2, let's do it. AM2 in a playoff. Just Talk about it. Talk about it. So, um, basically, I'm Nick's curse. Nick's my good luck. So, uh, we'll get into that later. But I was down five strokes going to round three, and I just played really hard, shot minus four, the leader shot even. I... Yeah, what was that rated, Ben? Uh, nine sixty something, I think. Nine sixty three um, in a New England MA two event. That's pretty good. Thank you. I it, or it, actually it Northeast. Great. It was New York, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to I did the same thing Nick did to force a playoff. I had to hit Circles Edge putt. Um, it was a huge putt for me. I don't make all of those all the time, so that was electric. Went to a playoff. We both threw OB. Um, then the, the guy I was playing with Ray, he threw OB again, <laughs> so I was able to win and it felt great. And, you know, um, I, I worked really hard to get to this point and I, I hope the success continues and, you know, feels great that I finally won an AM2 tour and the biggest one, three days felt great. There you go. Let's go. And speaking of playoffs, I mean, we got so many this weekend, but, uh, Nick hit us. I went to another freaking playoff this last weekend. Same and tournament. Decided to take my record and go from two and six in playoffs to two and seven. I uh, lost in another playoff after an epic four holes, actually against Dylan Horst. I um I had a very lackluster final round. It was which was pretty disappointing, but I hit. You know, I birdied the last three holes to even force the playoff. Uh, he played an absolutely stellar round the final round. And then I hit probably about a 45-footer on hole 18 in front of everyone electric. to force the playoff. Absolutely electric. Pretty sick because everyone, everyone went kind of ballistic. And I got some really, really cool snippets of, like, people um, sending me videos of, of it, which was pretty cool. Anyways, we went to a playoff. We both parred the first hole, and then we went birdie-birdie on holes two and three. And then arguably what I think is the hardest hole in the course to birdie. It's just really janky, kind of par four up the hill, but really kind of like hard to get your disc in a really good landing zone. Uh, he executed two really good shots and put himself to like 15 feet. I took a very easy four, which in the round is not bad at yeah, all. Very good. And uh, he took a three. So ultimately he took it down. 
which you know is kind of a bummer because one of the things that i love about tournaments is trophies and this is like second place number six for me this year which is hella annoying because that's six trophies that i didn't get this year and the last like three or four of them have actually been really cool trophies and so my apartment in virginia is still just kind of empty because <laughs> i'm my end of the year right now has been lackluster but it was wicked fun i had an incredible time i actually ended up cashing my biggest uh weekly kind of like paycheck from disc golf when it comes to tournaments so second place took home fifteen hundred dollars so shout out to Capital Discs for that tournament, just because ten thousand dollars out of cash at a B tier <laughs> is pretty nuts. And uh, that property that they had out there is absolutely insane. One of my favorite things about the weekend was um, one of my favorite players when I first started getting into the sport, Steve Brinster. And I actually got to play two rounds with Steve Brinster this past weekend. And even though he's you know in the MP40 division, you know like he could actually play MP40 but still plays MPO majority of the time. He's still a filthy good player and um, had a couple like he had the sick eagle and just had some incredible shots. He, he's just such a fun player to watch and uh, really, really cool guy to hang out with. So and then shout out to anyone who bought a disc for me this past weekend. That was super cool. A ton of people came up, bought my Nick Carl discs and they're all with me headed out to Worlds right now. So hopefully out in Kansas, people want to buy some as well. Let's go. But, uh, but hey, before the tournament, you also played in a skins match. Am I right? I did. So how'd that go? So I, I'm going to, I'm going to back up a little bit more. Um, cause I'm going to talk to you about two incredible days that I had out in Chicago, Illinois. Um, yes. I went to, I went to the white Sox game two days in a row. I got to see the white Sox win two days in a row. I got to watch our boy Dylan C's pitch, which was the absolute coolest thing. Um, we got to sit in the box seats, which was sick. Paul got to throw out the first pitch and it was just electric like the stadium that night when it was seas versus verlander was absolutely packed way more than the first day that we had went there um just an insane amount of people insane atmosphere we were all having a great time and then afterwards we all went out to dinner super super cool and then right after dinner it's about 11 30 probably 12 in the morning at this point everyone's like oh we're gonna go back to the hotels chill out and i was like well i gotta get out to new york and i've got about a 14 hour drive or 13 hour drive something like that i was like i'm gonna gonna make my way out to new york so i drove right after going to the white Sox game and i got probably a quarter of the way there before i felt like i needed to pull over and just kind of like take a nap for a little bit so long story short i ended up getting into town at like i don't know 7 30 p.m or so by the time i stopped because i would usually i'll stop at a restaurant like a texas roadhouse or something if i can find one get a nice dinner you know or get a late lunch something like that just to make sure i don't have to like eat a ton on the road and uh so i ended up getting into town at like 7 30 so i get to play a couple holes you know kind of got dark really quick and then i slept for the night and then the next day i had to practice the two different courses that we were playing so i played two full rounds one on the south side one on the north side and then I went and played the skins match. And I just remember after like being in a car all day and, you know, pretty much all night at that point, when I went to play the skins match, my body was just toast. And so everyone was throwing really good shots. Like Wiggins was obviously throwing further than everyone. Brinster was just lacing lines and a couple of the guys, they were just, everyone was throwing good shots. And so I would try to do these massive, like power forehands or throw in these massive putts and long story short i got skunked in the skins no! match so i didn't get a single one. Oh man <laughs> there was a 
there was like two opportunities for me to really get one. Um, I birdied one of the really hard holes with an absolutely filthy forehand that probably went like 200 feet further than anyone else's drive. But Brinster ended up piping just this incredible upshot to park the basket and actually almost skip in. He apparently hit the basket on a second shot. And then when I threw mine, I, I ended up having to hit like a 30 foot putt because I rolled down the hill a little bit. But that was really the one opportunity that I had to get a skin. And uh, we ended up pushing that one. So Well, that, that yeah. should bring you to the caddy curse that I, I've, I've, I've given you. I mean, we we can talk about it. It's you know. So I caddied. So, I caddied for yeah. Nick for the skins match. Zero, whatever. You know, it happens. Um, Nick kicks me off the bag. He's plus two. Kicks me off the bag first round. No, I think he's plus one. Then kicks no, me off. So so first round. First round starts out. Let then him he know. hits me up. He's like, "Yo, you wanna you wanna caddy?" I was like, "Yeah, sure. Come on down. Like, come hang out for a bit." And um. Same with my buddy Ryan. Like both of them just want to kind of like hang out, watch around, and I I just started off hella slow. Like the second hole in the course is literally a two hundred twenty foot hole, and I doinked a twenty five footer. Yeah. I don't even know if it was twenty five feet to be honest. I did and the I, like, same, I, dude. I did. I, 10 honest to goodness, I um I rarely, excuse me, right now, I feel like I rarely miss circle one putts. And when I miss a wide open one like that with really not that much wind, that is just such like a kick in the junk to me to where like, I know I don't throw far and I know on some of these holes, I'm going to have to throw far. And I took the shortest hole in the course and literally missed the birdie put on it. And so now I'm like, you know, come on, like what the heck? Hole three comes up and I throw an okay forehand. I get it to circle one, but it's like a straight uphill putt. I doink the putt. I don't get it high enough, so I literally just hit the front of the cage and it just drops and sits. And then I go par, so I'm even through four, when realistically I should be at least two down through four. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, I birdied hole, or excuse me, I bogeyed hole five and I bogeyed hole six. Um, hole five is a really hard par four that is like stupidly impressive if someone does get a birdie on it. And then hole six is a relatively easy par five if you throw a good drive. Um, and I went bogey bogey on it because I threw two really bad drives. And I was walking, I think I was walking after the tee shot on six. I think like, I think we were walking two hole sixes tee pad. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to take my bag back because I need to like, I need to get in my own routine. Like, I feel like I need my bag right next to me. Like, I feel like I need to be wearing my bag when I'm not throwing or something like that. Like, it's just one of those things where like, uh, for some odd reason, and normally I've liked adding cavity caddies in the past. Like I really have. But for some odd reason, it just felt awkward. And so I was like, Ben, I'm taking back my bag. And so after I bogeyed hole six, um, Ben Ben also left at the same time. <laughs> and so like he pieced out. I had to and, take a uh, nap, bro, and pra- get a practice yeah. round in. I was just like, oh. So I went and birdied seven, eight, nine, ten, And then I missed <laughs> 11. Then I got 12, 13, 14, missed 15, got 16, 17, 18. Finished finish negative seven. At like seven down. Yeah. <laughs> After yeah, I left like, and stopped wait, caddying yeah. for him. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause right here because we bring it back to Ledgestone, Nick. You mm-hmm. had the six up six up through six or six up through eight, whatever oh, it yeah. was. Yeah, so six maybe, through six. Maybe this is a Nick Carl trend and not dude. a are you starting off slow to start off tournaments now? I dude. Um both times on the north course. Even the last round, I started out one over one over through six. Even the uh, the last round, I the second round, 
it was on an easier course and um also a really fun one like i really enjoyed the south side of this tournament um but you know i started four down through five i missed hole one which is a super gettable par five that like even some people are throwing it i just threw a trash drive that went too far left um but i started out four through five but round one and round three i started out you know either two over through six or one over through six and realistically i should have started you know three for three or at least two for three and gotten to a point where at worst i should at least be two for six um but more than likely you kind of want to be three down through six holes if you can get two three and six i think that's a really good start and if you can get one as well in there i think that's an incredible start i'd be surprised if really during the tournament anyone birdied hole four and five i don't really know how many times that happened but yeah for some odd reason and this was also it was a t-timed tournament and so it's really weird going from you know your average c tier is you're teeing off at 9 or 9 30 in the morning you're playing two rounds in one day to like lead card on the mpo division for this tournament was at 224 in the afternoon so you're kind of like you have all morning to do something then you have early afternoon to do something and so i remember i was just going to this course actually super early and starting to warm up i was stretching for a while i was foam rolling every single day uh before and after my rounds and so i was trying to take it like super seriously in the sense of like i want to treat my body right this time and for some odd reason rounds one and three i just started super slow and i'm not really sure i'm not really sure what the reason is for that but well, well i got a reason. Ledgestone. nick what if you just threw let's say 30 to 50 feet further I mean, dude, if I could throw 30 to 50 feet further, there there are some times like this this tournament, it wasn't a it wasn't a distance contest. Like No, I, I'm just totally messing with you, Nick. Yeah. I know at Ledge, at Ledge, you so if I could throw fifty feet further, it'd be an incredible feeling. Mm -hmm. But um Bledgestone was sick. I'll say, oh, because I wasn't on the show last week, so I really didn't even get to, you know, talk about any of this. I was out celebrating my birthday, which was pretty awesome. Happy birthday. Um, yeah, thanks. And uh What's it called Ledgestone was awesome. I I really wish that I had made the cut. Obviously, because that means I would have made the cut. But then at the same time, like I really wanted to play Eureka again, because um, the day that I played Eureka in practice, I went by myself the first evening just to play uh, holes one through twelve before it got dark. I wanted to at least get up to the water tower hole, and I remember playing the practice round and I threw a great shot on hole one. To where I was like, dude, if I do this in the tournament, like I am so happy with this. It was just in a good position. It wasn't the most difficult upshot in the world. Um, hole two, I threw an incredible, like I threw two or three really good forehands on it to where I was like, okay, this hole actually isn't as hard as I remember it now that I have a pretty solid forehand. Uh, holes three and four are surprisingly kind of tough because three plays uphill. And if you kick left at all, you're probably going to go B. And then hole four is really hard to just dial in a really good shot on that downhill par three. Hole five, I play for a very simple par. Just throw an overstable nuke, land it in bounds, and get up and down. Um, if I threw kind of like one of my better shots, like my better safe shots, I'd have a very long jump putt or kind of a throw in at it. But I wasn't really too worried about it. And then in practice, this is where I was kind of like, I'm curious how I'm going to play the rest of the course. But like hole six... I threw two really good shots and I was like, wow, I can actually technically birdie this. But knowing that in the round, I was just going to play for par. Like I'm not going to go for birdie at all in that hole. And then uh hole eight also surprised me when I threw a good drive and a good second shot. And that one, I actually did birdie during the tournament. 
And so I felt pretty good about that. But I, it was such like an annoying start to where I, I was the first tee time. I was the second or third throw of the tournament. And it was kind of cool because no one was in front of us. And that was like the coolest feelings. We kind of like had the course to ourselves in a sense. And, um, but the ground was soaking wet just would do, but that's kind of to be expected. That's how most, you know, local events are. Um, but I remember being like, I thought I was warmed up, but I wasn't throwing good shots. It was weird. Like I just played the first six holes horribly, except for holes two and five. The rest of them, I just played really bad. And, uh, especially hole six, I actually tried to play that just insanely safe to where I threw just a big hyzer on my first shot. I went to throw another big hyzer and it just was too low. So it stayed out of bounds on the bad side. Then I threw OB again. Then I, you know, eventually got up and down for a triple bogey. And then to kind of bring it back to even with missing two or three birdie opportunities that I should have had uh, was pretty awesome. Uh, and then Northwoods was sick, but I, I made, I made a very kind of like amateur mistake midway through round two on Northwoods to where I was going through scores. I was checking to see where I was at because after nine holes on Northwoods round two, I was still at even par. And even par was down 15 or 20 spots, which was well outside of what I knew the kind of like cash line was going to be at the cut line. And so I was going up literally into the hardest holes on the course thinking I need to be aggressive and I need to get some birdies. And I only played one practice round on it. So I was kind of like, if I throw great shots, I can get a couple of these birdies. But let's just try to get some, you know, pars and maybe a birdie here and there. Um, I ended up missing or I got the dumbest bogey in hole 10 with literally probably one of the worst upshots of my life. Um, just a wide open 200 foot shot. And I doinked it. And um, then I missed a circle one putt for birdie on hole 11. And then I went like bogey, bogey, bogey. I double bogey the final hole like I ended up shooting like six over on the back which was so stupid but I felt like I needed to play aggressive which is really annoying because had I just stayed at even par by the end of the round even par actually moved up 15 strokes so I would have gone from like 63rd to 48th or something like that and I would have been well inside the cash line and then I shot even on round three which was kind of like the most simplistic round which is wild because even par Anything below par at Northwoods Black is really, really good. Um, but that even par round that I shot just felt so simplistic in a sense of I didn't do anything special, but I also didn't like, I obviously didn't do anything really bad. And it ended up being like 1025 rated, which is actually kind of mind boggling to me because it, it doesn't feel like a 1025 rated round. Like it doesn't feel that good, which I still consider that a pretty good round. And, um, so yeah, I don't know. Slow starts to tournaments right now are killing me. Uh, I could definitely say that's happened far too many times this year. Yeah. So and it isn't just me. Let's we... go. Oh, yeah. Let's go, Ben. <laughs> but to drop a stat before we move on, uh, I it got a lot of, uh, of notoriety on Twitter, I'll say, but I don't know if I shared it on the show last week. Uh, Nick going six over through six uh, to start his tournament at Ledgestone on Eureka. He was the 45th MPL player to do that this season from Elite and Majors. He was the only one to finish even. Everyone else finished three over or worse. Uh, so, Nick, you get a trophy for best comeback from a bad start on tour. I told you, weird flex, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> weird well, flex, but everyone with the yeah. weird flexes today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I think everyone's heard about our, you know, fun local tournaments that we all did okay at. Um, 
and about myself at Ledgestone. So I guess realistically, people want to come to tier about good disc golfers playing very good disc golf. And I think we've got that coming up. Evan, I'm going to let you take this away. We're going to talk about, actually, I want to first talk about this. Uh, we got to thank the people that are kind of like helping us help the show, support the show and everything like that. So I really want to thank Hempfield Botanicals. They're an incredible CBD company that has helped us out. All of us have been using their products. I would say for me, actually, what feels like the last couple of years um, since I met them, I actually met them in Vermont a few years ago. I've been using their products ever since. I actually brought all of it with me down here to Tennessee where I'm spending a couple of days. Um, I use it when I'm on my long drives. I use it after my tournament rounds where I feel like my ankle's a little bit swollen up. But go ahead, use code Nick and Matt for 20% off your order orders at hemfieldbotanicals.com. Incredible CBD company. Go check them out one more time. Code Nick and Matt, 20% off Hemfield Botanicals. So now, Evan, I'm going to throw it over to you to where we'll talk about Des Moines Challenge, the Let's, True Bank Des Moines Challenge. Yeah, and I mean, shout out to True Bank and this phenomenal, phenomenal event. Oh, my English is bad. I'm sorry. Uh, where they had a huge cash. MPO gets 11 grand for winning. FPO got seven grand. Some of the biggest paychecks we've ever seen from any non-major. I actually, that's on me for not looking that up ahead of time because that could be the highest, or it's at least one of the highest. It was though the highest um cash payout for a three-day event ever uh said multiple times to the broadcast that's incredible uh, so that excludes majors and four round events like ledgestone but this was the weekend of the europeans on the fpo side christian tatar gets out to an early lead and keeps it throughout the tournament evelina salad and another european player of course uh was pushing her was kind of in it towards the end but uh, Eventually, it still uh, was a four-stroke win for Kristen. Um, that's her third win on the year. She is the 10th player ever in FPO to have three wins in a year. Uh, and the first European to get three wins in a year. Uh, and we'll get to that later. Um, but yeah, Evelina, st uh, sorry, Evelina had a uh, great event along with Kristen. They both had 21 strokes gained PD green, uh, but it was just the putting from Tatar was a little bit better at 79% C1X with Saladin just at 61% C1X. Uh, I mean, like I said, the strokes gained PD green is the same. Uh, this tournament could have gone down to the wire, maybe if Evelina matched Kristen's putting, uh, but unfortunately not the case. But heading into Worlds, you got to feel like Kristen probably is the favorite uh, from all players. Mm -hmm. uh, Paige Pierce ended up finishing fifth, and Katrina Allen finished 11th. Um, we had plenty of other women filling in the leaderboards, like Macy Vela Diaz getting a great podium, Erica Stinchcomb getting a fifth place finish, and Kona Panis getting an eighth place finish, with one of her rounds being bogey free. The first time she's done that all season, uh, which in incredible to go bogey free on any course. It's not mm -hmm. a knock, it is an achievement to get to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hot round, final round for a thousand rated round as well for her. Yeah. Uh, which is phenomenal. Uh, and I, I mentioned Paige Pierce with the fifth place finish. This is the first time she has not won her event directly before Worlds since 2016. Uh, she's gone several years in a row doing that. And of course, her Worlds record is fantastic. Um, but since 2011, uh, when she doesn't win the preceding event, she is one and two at Worlds, which, I mean, if you're saying someone still has one <laughs> Worlds win, I mean, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. Uh, and only have three times not winning. Uh, the event before Worlds since 2011 uh, is also incredible. 
Um, but yeah, 33% chance. Uh, and I mean, you got to think the way that Kristen's playing and Katrina playing, if you're going off of this, which I, isn't really a true uh, uh, lead into a win percentage chance, but uh, 33% of the time she wins when this happens. Uh, uh, those are pretty good odds still. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but over to the NPO side with a breathtaking finish. Uh, we saw a lot of new names uh, pop high on the leaderboard. Evan Smith was leading into the final round, um, but it might have been notably because the first round was postponed uh, probably like about 70% of the way through the entire field. Um, like Simon Lazat's card was uh, just had one more upshot left on 18 when the horns blew and they had to get off the course. Uh, ended up getting postponed until the next day and several of our lead cards uh including like paul Macbeth, had to uh tee off the next day before any other cards i don't know exactly what time but like 7 a.m or something um and that definitely threw a lot of them off we saw uh paul Macbeth, ricky waisaki chris dickerson all outside the top 30 right away but what that did lead into is paul Macbeth jumping up 64 spots he was in 70th after round one finished saturday morning uh by the time saturday ended after round two he was up in sixth and on chase cards so that's 64 spots uh it's the largest jump that paul's ever had in his career uh you gotta think he doesn't have quite that many chances to jump from 70th since he's usually not that low but still uh incredible to turn it around like that but getting into the final round it was kind of a two-horse show with simon lazat and robert burridge and of course we'll talk to robert burridge later um but a name not a lot of people knew they had a, a tight race going to the end robert burridge got up to a three-stroke lead late into the tournament uh simon lazat got hit by the new pdga mando rule where it crossed safe by the mando but then kind of curled around hit a tree and then Across the restricted space which cost him a stroke but simon battles back ties it up on 17 they match each other in 18 and then lazat and burridge go into a playoff which was pretty exciting uh i mean simon fluffed his upshot on hole one robert burridge had a kind of shorter c2 but had a straddle around a putt to win the tournament uh, he would have been the lowest rated player ever to win a disc golf pro tour event. Uh, and it would have been the shortest amount of time anyone has gone from getting their first cash to first elite series win of their career. Uh, but unfortunately, Robert didn't get the putt playoff goes on a couple more holes, uh, on hole three, notably, I think Burridge had a 60 footer Simon matched with like a 40 footer. Uh, but it goes into hole four, uh, Burge takes the unfortunate skip off of a stump. Simon gets into with about 40 again. Burge with the water behind, since he was about 60 feet out, had to lay up. Simon had a 40-footer to win. He putts it, points up his finger to the crowd when it's in mid-flight, and cashes the putt to get his third Elite Series win of the season. Uh, and he is the eighth MPO player to get his third win of the season, and joining Kristen Tatar as the only Europeans to get three wins, uh, three elite series or major wins, that is, uh, in a season, which is incredible that they both do it on the same day. And this is the first time ever two Europeans have won an elite series or major on at the same event ever, uh, fitting that it's Kristen Tatar and Simon Lazat who are the mm -hmm. winningest in each of their divisions as far as Europeans. Yeah, Simon's, Simon's finger point when he made that putt, I thought when he kind of like put up his hand for a second, I thought he knew he missed it right side. 
And then when I kind of like saw him just do that quick little finger point, I was like, man, that, that was cold. Like that was so, so perfect. And I can't wait to see whoever got kind of like the perfect photo of him doing that and just pointing at the crowd, whatever. So, so, so cool. Um, I just think it's so funny to me how crazy disc golf is of like what each weekend has been bringing us, especially over the last few years. I mean, we used to talk about disc golf four or five years ago and you had the same people winning almost week in and week out. Like you had Eagle Paul and Ricky really, really dominating with a couple players coming in the mix. This year we're seeing just tons of new players winning. We are seeing repeat winners, but we're seeing an incredibly long list of players who are getting wins playing incredible and i want to look kind of like throw that out this is kind of what i'm talking about is ricky wysocki last week literally just won the ledgestone insurance open he goes back he goes to des moines he misses cash he gets 57th place misses cash by two strokes that's the flip-flop he had robert burridge went to ledgestone last week got 95th place well beyond missing cash and then goes to Des Moines, goes into a playoff, literally has a chance to win it, it gets second place at it. And that's like the craziness of disc golf right now is like, it's insane. You know, I, I technically, I beat, and I'm saying this in just a manner of speaking, I beat Burridge at Ledgestone. Like I got 65th at plus six or something like that. And he was at like 98th at like plus 13 or whatever it was. Like we both played bad. We both missed a cut. Not saying anything more than that, but it's just crazy what like one weekend does. And then kind of going through his PDGA, you know, he's already got an A-tier win his first year of kind of like really hitting the pro scene of it, which is pretty incredible. And he's got a lot of great finishes. And obviously this one at Des Moines now, it's just insane the way disc golf's going. Paul went from shooting, you know, a 62 to then the course record and then shooting a 61 to go back and you know what he finished at ninth place or something like that 16th actually 16th place okay so oh yeah, what you're gonna say earlier what's that yeah 10 strokes back of the leader tying paul yep. uliberry who notably yep. got a top 20 finish uh he's having a, i would say a mm -hmm. subpar year and he probably agrees although he's been battling an injury so mm -hmm. him getting a fantastic finish but i will say Yuli got that uscgc spot which is pretty awesome um kind of Getting down into the year where there's not too too many more USDG USDGC spots available, uh, so picking them up at events like this is awesome. Mm -hmm. I know one of my really good buddies, Justin Rozak, he got one this last weekend, which is awesome, and then a couple other players. But yeah, just the craziness of what disc golf brings week in and week out. We're not seeing, you know, continual domination week in and week out like we used to. You know, we're seeing Simon's got three Elite Series wins this year. Ricky's got three Elite Series wins, but they're doing it excuse me they're doing it in a very spread out fashion um rather than one they haven't been dominating wins either what's like they haven't been dominating wins either i mean mm -hmm. otb might have been simon's most dominating win and it was still kind of a nail biter yep. at the end but portland we saw the dramatic finish where we thought girthy was gonna grab it and unfortunately went out of bounds and now here simon had to fight back from three strokes with i think three left to play mm -hmm. or four left to play uh and then had to go four holes in a playoff to get it that, I, I will say that playoff at Des Moines was insane. I really, so I really liked how it was holes one through five, and then they do 18. Was and it one through eight. five, then 18? Mm -hmm. So I really like playoffs. Like the one that I did was play till someone loses in the sense of like, 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one through yeah. 18. Um, and I really like that. I don't really care for loops of like going to find a random hole, but I guess at some courses it kind of makes sense more than other ones. Well, but, to um, dive into it, I mean, I hole one seemed like it was a kind of a good range of scores and, and without kind of looking at the data either, this is kind of more of a gut reaction and kind of what the uh, commentators were getting at. I unfortunately didn't get to watch all weekend, uh, but watch the playoff, but hole two kind of seemed like a uh, kind of a, a push hole, you know, mm-hmm. You didn't expect someone to win it on hole two. And then you get into hole three. And as they Great noted, cut. like, yeah, yeah, a lot of people didn't like that because it was kind of a funky gap mm-hmm. at the end where it didn't really seem uh, kind of an intuitive to the rest of the mm-hmm. hole design. So they someone could have gotten lucky. Luckily, they both, though, birdied it and birdied with incredible fashion. And mm-hmm. Simon, like, he was almost high on that putt, but it uh, caught the very top chain yeah. uh, and bounced in. But, like, if if somebody lost on that hole, I think people would have been upset, but then you come into hole four, which I think is a fantastic, it's one of the best holes in disc golf. It's, Mm -hmm. it's such a good go for it or layup. And of course these guys are, have this skill and it's a playoff. So they're Mm going to go for it. Uh, But people, they're going to make us talk about stump gate, which I don't think really is a gate, but uh, yeah, Yeah. there was just a a cut down tree with a stump, probably 15 feet from the basket. Mm -hmm. And Burge was coming in pretty hard even if it didn't hit the stump, it would have skipped a little bit, but maybe mm-hmm. like 10, 15 feet, kind of edge of circle. Uh, instead, it skips probably like 40 feet or so uh, and almost goes out of bounds. Yeah. Uh, and he kind of have an unfortunate like planted tree in his way. So he had to lay up his putt, as I was saying, and yeah. to give the sound of the wind. But uh, yeah, I, I think I, hole one and hole four were fantastic for a playoff, but two yeah. and three were kind of, but you're yeah. not going to walk past a ton of holes. But to to keep on going for a second, this reminds me of LBC where they skipped a few holes. They mm-hmm. they played I think it was one three five seven, and then yeah. I forget how it was going to finish out from there. But when yep. we saw Drew Gibson and Gannon Burr battle it, they weren't playing in succession. Mm-hmm. Of course, that was also to do with maybe how the tees were set up. But they were skipping a few holes that yep. they might have felt were just going to be pushes. Either I way. think yeah, the LBC kind of like skipping the holes. Hell two, hole two at that course is just a little wooded par three that's probably no more than two hundred sixty feet, two hundred seventy feet maybe. Um, hole three at least has the little water in it. Hole five is a par four. Uh, hole seven is the you know uh, the Garrett Ace hole, the par four up the hill that Drew ultimately won it on. Mm-hmm um no i thought it was awesome i i honestly i thought simon lost it on hole one when he threw that shot low and instantly started running at it i said i like dang it what are you doing because we were all texting each other last night and you know we were just like come on simon's got a clutch up right here and uh no i mean rob robert had a pretty hard putt on hole one and then yeah. hole two they just pushed it with two what seemed like good putts 25 30 feet i mean simon's putting just looked incredible and roberts also looked incredible just yeah he did, si- Simon didn't miss all was, weekend yeah and exactly Burge, i think was 97 percent inside the circle so yeah uh, they and were clutch hole, as much as hole three was kind of like a janky hole is what it seemed like for them to both birdie it to force another hole was pretty badass you know for for robert Absolutely. to barely kind of like get to the edge of making the gap and then to hit that i don't know 50 60 footer or whatever it was and to just nail that putt to where, like, he knew that last second, he knew that was going in. He just waited for it to actually hit the chains. Yeah. Like, he knew. And he was hyped. You can and see then, it in uh, his body language, too. Like, he, he put it and kind of was watching it. Yeah. And then, like, halfway through the flight, he, like, kind of, like, like 
did that yeah. athletic like crunch no yeah or I, th- I don't I know how to describe he, it he knew but he, yeah at <laughs> that point crunch. halfway through yeah. <laughs> i don't i don't know you guys gotta watch the yeah. video yeah. and tell me that's not this an is sponsored crunch. by athletic crunch yeah protein <laughs> for then, days um, and then simon's butt same thing he had the body language of someone who missed it and then yeah. the basket just the basket just sucked it right in which was great and then mm-hmm. hole four stump gate we can kind of go from there but at the same time this is where everyone's going to have different kind of agreements on this where i think the layup in you know in time in hindsight it was a good play but at the same time like who goes for that that's what i'm wondering like who what players are saying they're going for that putt and i'm genuinely curious because you know i had in my playoff that i had um it was a long par four I threw my second shot 45 feet to the right of the basket to make sure I didn't go OB left. Because if you go OB left in the water, you have a pretty hard putt. And I knew if I five the hole, I was going to lose. And so I had about a 45-foot putt, and that was for three. But then this kid that I was playing against, Dylan Horst, he had probably about a 20, 25-foot putt uphill for four to where, like, he's probably going to make his putt for four. But if I somehow miss my putt, I'm probably going to roll OB, and then I lose a tournament like that. So I literally just walked right up to it. I laid it up, and I, I was like, you know what? We'll go to hole two. Maybe I can take it on two or three. Bridgegate. And so the, yeah, Bridgegate. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's so beyond. That's so besides the point. But um, what's it called? That's where, like, in Robert's situation, his, his putt also was very awkward. He could either do a big hyzer putt at it or kind of like that, 80, uh, that Annie putt. I think he made the right decision of laying it up and kind of forcing Simon to make what looks like a 35 to 38 footer. I think the commentators were saying um, it's yeah, just I tough the- because Simon goes a hundred percent circle one X and then you're only talking about yeah. a putt that's five feet further. So that's the only thing you could kind of say against Robert and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get into his opinion on it too, of course, mm-hmm. uh, and see if he thinks he made the right choice, mm-hmm. but with the way Simon was putting, you could argue like you knew he was going to make it. So you got to try anyways. But when you look at what his putt was, how downhill it was, it was, I don't think there's a chance you miss it. Uh, cage uh, chains high and you don't go OB. Like it's, you're either missing short, which is a layup really, or you're going OB. Uh, and you kind of think about the options. Like that was like a, two percent at best make maybe like if he has a hundred putts from that exact distance over and over like how many times does he make it not many at all but how many times does he go will be on a miss on a miss Mm -hmm. i'd say like a hundred percent if he's actually giving it a real attempt Mm -hmm. maybe 95 percent uh so yeah well that's also where would you where would you rather lose would you rather lose off of laying up and someone hit the putt or throwing ob for that person to now be able to just lay up and walk away with the win put it on like what what is a better feeling loss in a sense? Uh, you, you know don't I mean? think about the losses in that point. You got to think about uh, the wins. I, I think the, the uh, another big part is how confident Robert was. And I think he was incredibly confident. Mm-hmm. I think he was also running on adrenaline. He felt like he could win, even though he was going with Simon, who's won two elite series this mm-hmm. year, four total in his career, and is Simon effing Lazat, right? He still felt he had just as much of a chance to win, if not more. And so if he pushes it to the next hole, he could win on the next hole. It's not, hey, yeah. I'm lucky to be here. Simon's going to get me eventually. I better get it now. He didn't feel that way at all. So I think that maybe ultimately was the biggest decision too. Yeah. No, definitely. But, and it, it's, it's just, I think it speaks to the tales of like how insane this year has been disc golf wise. It's been such an incredible like 
we've seen absolutely epic battles the des moines challenge just proved that once again european open was such an incredible battle to watch back and forth between paul and eagle um we've just had insane tournaments going on and it's been so fun because we're literally coming up in a week and a half to two weeks to the biggest tournament like it, it starts what next week it starts in eight days the world championships out in emporia kansas like arguably the biggest tournament of the year i know some pros will say differently but a majority of the pros i think when you get solidified like whoever wins a world championship like when you're a one-time world champion your name gets talked about for years and years and years to come and in some sort of way you're etched in disc golf history like i would look at like eric mccabe who's a one-time world champion we talk about him still all the time because he's still involved with the sport he's still involved with dynamic discs but at the same time like we talk about him as a world champion james conrad we'll talk about as a world champion you know the greatest shot in disc golf there's so many things to talk about it and we finally have those coming up this year and it's like are we going to see more one-time world champions are we going to see maybe two different six-time world champions are we going to see a three-time world champion like there's i think an incredible amount of storyline to tell them that I don't know what do we think i know next week we'll have a show right before the world championships i'm not sure if i'll be on it yet because i'll actually be out in emporia kansas hopefully practicing and hopefully in winning having good practice yeah, <laughs> yeah. let's go yeah. <laughs> exactly one-time world champion you know yeah right but, it could um, be you like you're saying yeah i mean it could be anyone like i mean look at burge look at, like what's that i said look at burge yeah exactly i mean yeah. burge incredible weekend almost literally squeaked away more what was the insane stat you were saying? Like the quickest that would have been from taking cash to winning an elite series event? Yeah, it would have been 294 days since his first cash, which was actually at the New England Amateur Disc Golf Tour uh, Championships last year. He took eighth, lost to Micah Groth, who we had on the show. New um, England? Uh, did I say New England? Yeah, national. National amateur. Yeah. Sorry, excuse me. National <laughs> amateur disc golf tour. Woof. Uh, but yeah, that was his first cash. And 294 days later today, or yesterday would have been on August 21st, uh, he could have been the quickest ever to do it. Uh, Ricky Masaki is currently the holder at 441 days, so uh, Birch still has a, a chunk of time before he has to get that. But like, how incredible would that done? Blowing away the record, doing it in less than a year mm -hmm. from being an amateur to a pro to an elite series champion. Uh, that would have been insane. And to highlight him for a second too, like he's his career has been no slouch. I mean, he was the 2021 uh, U.S. Amateur Disc Golf Champion, and he won the 20, 2022 earlier this year College Disc Golf National Championship in D1 singles. Um, he just moved up 78 spots in the Disc Golf Pro Tour standings. He's he's sitting at 71st, so he's 71st, so he's looking good for GMC. He's got to make some moves to get into Maple Hill or MVP Open, excuse me. He also moved up 228 spots in the Statmando official rankings. He's up to 68th. Um, that is, he, he came from two, was it 296? He was almost a, like the 300th high, uh, best player in the world to then mm -hmm. go to winning an event. Uh, almost. That's absolutely incredible. Uh, it would have been a story to tell for a long time. We've seen other kind of unique winners, like you're saying, like Connor O'Reilly, Mason Ford, uh, Isaac Robinson, but these guys are all still making a names for themselves to this day. And not that Robert Burge won't, but those guys all were kind of in contention, at least and being known. 
And Robert Burge comes from not a lot of people knowing him, having some of these big titles, uh, to almost taking it from the best players in the world. It it was incredible. Uh, either way, uh, it could have been like one of the most incredible moments in disc golf. No, definitely it was super close. I, the chat's kind of going off about us calling Simon. Look, I'm going to be honest, guys. I think all four of us texted Simon today and said, can you please come on the show? Like, we really wanted to get Simon. He's actually in the air right now, I'm pretty sure. And he's going back to finally visit his family after like two or three weeks. So we would have loved to have Simon on and talk about this. And maybe we'll get Simon on next week. Simon, um, can I have your number? Thank you. But, yeah. But um, we did really want to get Simon on. I think that kind of wraps up kind of Des Moines talk and disc golf talk in that regards. Um, there's, we're having Robert on at eight o'clock, right, Ben? Correct. Eight EST, right, so we, which is 15 minutes. Awesome. Eight we got EDT, like 15 yeah. minutes to talk about some kind of like useless drama in the disc golf world right now. And I'm just going to kind of leave this and it's only going to take me a few minutes. And then we're going to talk about something completely different. Um, as everyone is probably well aware there has been some Paul and Brody beef going on in the disc golf world over the last week, kind of as it started months ago, um, but really kind of blew up when we were all at Ledgestone. Uh, Debate Night podcast over on the Foundation podcast channel had put out a video um, and it's titled, you know, what really happened between Paul and Brody, Brody side of it. And um, it's like an hour and a half video, but the first, I think, 20 or 30 minutes is what really them talking about uh, Brody side of the situation. In that video, they talk about a mutual friend. And I, I'm quoting that because a mutual friend who caused a lot of issues throughout the whole situation. Um, I just want to kind of clear my name out there. I am not that mutual friend. So I keep getting tagged and everything. And I think a lot of people are assuming that it's me because of um, I've, I have a close relationship still with Hunter Thomas. Um, I don't think I have any issues with Brody in the sense of like, I don't think I've done anything wrong by him in that regards. Um, I'm best friends with Paul. And so I think when they kind of said a mutual friend that had done something that hurt the relationship, um, I think a lot of people just really quickly assumed that it was me. Uh, it actually wasn't. So that's really kind of all I got to say about that. I called up Hunter yesterday to talk to him about it. Uh, I left a comment on their video. I just keep getting tagged and stuff on Twitter, on Instagram and all over the place. Just saying like, you know, what did you do? Did you do this? You're a horrible person, stuff like that. So just kind of want to clear my name out there. It is not me. It was something else in a situation that was not at all talked about in the sense of like no one, besides for the people who know what happened, no one in the world is speculating it correctly. So anyways, just going to clear my name out there. In that regards, Hunter and I are still very good friends. We actually spent probably 30 minutes on the phone yesterday talking about all this. And I think it's funny when people think that Hunter and I have beef because we literally text each other about it and make jokes and him, Paul and I still talk very regularly. Um, no, I'm not moving to Florida to go join with Paul. I have a pretty incredible life going on in Virginia right now. I live in a disc golf course. I'm building it up to be a in incredible course with a bunch of buddies of mine and we're hosting a very big B tier at it later on this year. So I'm super excited about that. So no, I'm not moving to Florida. I'm sticking around in Virginia for a little while. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be in Nashville, Tennessee with my girlfriend right now, which is super awesome. And then I'm going out to Worlds in New England for a while. So anywho, that's about that. I'm not the mutual friend. Um, I think one other thing in the disc golf world that we don't really need to kind of dive too much into 
Uh, but UC Maresma, um, very, very affiliated with the Discmania Disc Golf Company, had posted today on his Instagram. I'm not going to quote it word for word, but he was convicted of a felony for what it kind of seems like to be paying for sex. I don't really know the full logistics of it. I didn't dive at all into it. I just heard about it, read his Instagram story. If you want to see more about that, head over to his Instagram. He has a post about it, and you can figure it all out from there. I'm sure plenty of posted people have posted anything that has to do with it, but that's that. I don't really think there's much to dive into that until maybe more stuff comes out about it. We were talking about how much we really want to talk about this tonight in general, and I don't really think there's much more to say, except we'll kind of just see how this impacts anything to do with, you know, European Open, maybe a world's bid out in Europe at some point, or the Discmania company in and of itself. They had made a post also, you know, condemning the situation, saying they, you know, do not condone it in any way, shape, or form, and that it was, you know, just a bad move in general, so... That's about that. That's the stupid, useless drama that's going on in the disc golf world right now. I think everyone wants so much more information out of all of it. And I think when people are starting to realize that so much of this drama is really not that big of a deal, it just keeps getting created into this massive, massive bubble until it's ready to pop. Um, yeah, I don't know. Keep Nick's name out your mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there you go anyways that's really yeah that's really it all right well let's move it on and let's dive in i gotta say i gotta say this really quick uh a hole in one disc golf said nick what happens to paul's course when he moves to florida um so one of my buddies actually bought that property so that course is very well still in incredible production right now actually the driveway is i think in the construction stage to you know, start with the parking lot, and then we have someone coming out and building tee pads with us. So that course is in perfect mode to be an incredible place, and I can't wait for people to actually be able to enjoy it in the world because it's an incredible Paul Macbeth designed course, and it's super challenging, and I really, really like it. So that's that. Well, I want to dive into a little bit about the Mando situation with uh, Sam Lazat. Uh, not, not a stat Mando, unfortunately not. It's just a regular Mando. Uh, but the PDGA recently, uh, recently being uh, 2022, that is, uh, not in the last couple of weeks. Don't say that. Uh, it was uh, in their kind of yearly updates of rules. Um, they changed the Mando rules where the, uh, the restricted space where the Mando goes on the outsides this is gonna be i'm not gonna be the best at describing this if you want to know exactly what it is you should go look it up or hear from other people they're gonna be much better at it but the restricted space uh that goes on the wrong side of the mando kind of perpendicular or yeah perpendicular to your view from the t so even if you cross the mando space in let's say fair territory but curl around and cross like kind of that line of scrimmage. I'm using so many other sports right now. If you cross that line of scrimmage backwards, it's considered missing the Mando. So it's not just the entryway, it's where it ends up. Uh, and so unfortunately this happened to Simon. Uh, it again was in, let's say fair territory, kicked a tree and bounced backwards. So it was an unfortunate skip. It wasn't the best shot, um, but it still originally made the Mando. Uh, 
So what do you guys think about that? Is that kind of restricted space where it bounces back and uncrosses the mandatory? Is that a good rule? Is it a good rule, but not in this uh, specification? Should TDs be allowed to alter that? Oh man, Ben's trying to show. Oh, okay, thanks Ben for the picture. Hopefully uh, it, it's clear enough for people to see if you're watching on video. Um, but it, it, could there be a way where TDs maybe could mark this on their own um, if they did want to keep that restricted space but not have it be a perfect uh, perpendicular mark from the T? Uh, just curious on general thoughts if anything needs to be done or if it's great as is. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know you were ending it right there. Um, <laughs> no, I was I was offering up an yeah. open floor. No, As I is. also don't know why my screen got like randomly dark all of a sudden when the lights are on. So I was trying to fix all right, that. Ben, ben, you can hit us with something too if yeah. you want. All right. So is the rule dumb or not? Is that what you're asking? I, dumb or not is your words. Um, uh, I, just, I don't what know. What do you I think of it? I, I, I'm indifferent about it. I feel like it's a rule that... I feel like it's not going to, I know it affected Simon, but I feel like it's not going to be as big of a deal. The only way I can think of it actually happening is on a, like more, like consistently happening is on a roller. I don't know really how else that would happen where you pass a Mando and then it just does a 180, but um, I'm indifferent about it. I'm not mad at it. It's not, it's not a issue like tractors on a disc golf course are <laughs> no, i'm kidding <laughs> i mean i don't like in the sense of like if he made it and then rolled back and he doesn't have the chance to kind of like just make it again like he now gets penalized for it i don't really like that so to the rule in and of itself i kind of think it sucks and i think it's really hard to dissect i mean it took four players on that card and uh an official the ceo of the pro tour to ultimately come up with a uh, decision on what's to happen. So I think there's just too many, there's too much room for interpretation with the rules right now. And we're seeing that so much more lately. Like one of the big things that just happened this last weekend is someone threw a disc under a gazebo and it somehow slid under the gazebo. The gazebo was not labeled out of bounds on the anything of the course, but it also wasn't considered a playable area and so then people are arguing the rule of verticality versus the player taking it back to the nearest point to where he can put a foot down in line with the basket and there i don't know there's just too much room for interpretation on so many rules right now that they just need to get more and more specific and i think they are going to get more and more specific as we have these situations uh like one of the rules that uh came up when i was at ledgestone it's not even much of a rule but it kind of is but someone's disc was half in circle one and half in circle two and the back of his disc was obviously in circle two so there was actually a marshal walking by and so we asked him like is his disc technically circle one or circle two like can he step on this or jump on this and then the guy pretty much just said he's like where is your lie technically the lie is behind your disc and that part of it was in circle two so he was allowed to step on it but years ago i had heard that it was front of the disc back of the mini kind of like if you put your marker down it's the back of the mini but your lie is technically the front of the disc and so i don't know there's just so many different things going on and i think the mando rule was one that was changed and it's just very confusing um 
fortunately, I haven't missed the Mando, I don't think, to where this has had to come into play too much for me, and I'd rather not. Whoa! whoa. I, dude, I'm I'm confused by all the rules, Matt. Oh, oh, he took my he took me. Yeah. Whoops. There's there's oh, Matt. Oh, and they're saying they can't hear you, Matt. Oh, yeah, I've done mute, Matt. Yeah, Ooh. you, you totally oh, bombshelled me. All right. See, Matt, Matt, thinking he has all the powers, yet he doesn't. Wait, I think we fixed it, guys. Talk, Matt. Yeah, I got you. I got you. I can hijack the show without talking. I guess. Oh yeah. Where are? You? Where's Matt now? Huh? <laughs> huh? There we go. I have the real power. That important. I guess all I was gonna say is this. Anytime there's a new rule, especially when it gets like something that people were so used to and their concept was the fact that you just have to pass by a certain side of a tree, that when they illustrated it with a new rule, it now says like restricted area, which it changes the concept of like, hey, if I fly into that area, that's restricted, meaning I can't come back out and go back around the Mando the right side. It's like a restricted wall. Mm -hmm. And uh, this actually happened to Hunter, my son, at his last tournament, and he was confused by it too. And it's like he's so bummed. He's like, "Dude, I didn't even miss the Mando." So and they're like, "Yeah, but you did." So Matt, anyway, how did Hunter? Rule. How did Hunters do it? Did it just roll there, or was it like a air shot that it came back? Like I'm very confused how it happened. It, it would bounce off a tree, I would assume. Oh, well, so okay. That I didn't think about that. So no. So imagine this, like. um T-pad to Mando tree, okay? So let's say there's a Mando tree directly in front of you. Let's just say it's 200 feet. And it's a T-pad to tree would be your line of play to that Mando. And then off of that perpendicular, and I know for those driving and listening and me talking, people are like, okay, we got perpendicular. We've got off the line to T-pad. Yeah. But perpendicular, literally 90 degrees from now on that line of play. So through the Mando tree, 90 degrees, Picture it as like an invisible wall. If you throw through that wall, it's a restricted area no matter what happens. Like you, even if you land just one foot past that wall, you could say, well, I can go around the Mando still, but you can't because you're in a restricted area. So it's just, once you get into that restricted area, it's over. It doesn't matter if you can go around the tree or not. And, so, and to, to, to counter that though, not necessarily that I agree with it or not, but if it's a if it's a fake wall that's restricted, how can you go through the safe part, hit a tree, and then go back through it and have that not be allowed? It's it's kind of like it isn't allowed from the front way, but it is allowed from the back until it crosses. So it's like two different sets of rules. One you it can't blew, pass through. Blew, yeah. One it well, can't land because if it crossed in fair, then let's say bounced back to I the restricted space, but then backed forward to a safe space that's allowed yeah. it, it doesn't matter well, if it crossed that restricted what space. i want to say is I, I was using that for illustration sake but the restricted area is also on the ground anywhere right so what i would say is you can't be in your your disc flight cannot go into that restricted area ever doesn't matter if you go around the right side of the mando and come back through that that's a restricted area now i don't necessarily love that because in my head i'm like 
if if your shot goes around the man to the right side and it, it rolls into that area, I wish they would flag it out like an OB area then. But but mm -hmm. that's like anyways, that's the point there is it can make a good shot that makes the mando ends in the restricted area or flies so, through it, I should say. It could even how, land in a good area in front of it, but if it goes through the restricted area, that's a restricted area. How how do they dis define a restricted area? It's like a no flight uh, zone for an airplane. And so I was just if, on an airplane. But. If like let's say the triple mando hole at USDGC. Yeah. Can I throw a big hyzer to the gap of it, or did I technically hit a restricted zone? No, it would be beyond the the line of Mando. So you'd have to be beyond it to do that. Um, so that one would be just a normal Mando. Like, that would be... It, oh, here's cool. my question. Yeah, and here's my question. We'd have to bring on somebody who knows more than that. Uh, how far does that restricted line go? Because as you said, if you hyzer through a triple Mando, that's what you're saying, yeah. You go into it, and let's just say you skip left. Yeah, where does the where does the restricted area end? And, and that's where maybe it is the invisible wall I was talking about. Yeah. I'm not the expert on this new rule. I just know it came up recently. Sorry. It came up with Simon, and it's like, I'm okay with it. I just it'd be nice to hear more clarity on it. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, and, and now I'm kind of thinking about if a if a hole kind of almost makes a, a candy cane shape, and at the let's mm -hmm. say pinnacle of the candy cane the farthest away point from the t-pad as the crow flies that's where a mando was a triple mando and if you made it through but then had a curl around to get to the basket like usd like usdgc's triple the not the bamboo triple mando hole but mm -hmm. the other one that kind of takes a hard left later in the course I, I don't remember the exact number i can't i haven't been there so i don't know if it oh, does 15. kind of curl backwards 15. but there yeah there is a chance if it goes in perpetuity um then yeah, there is a chance like you it. cross it so it's it's a little tricky in that sense we're i'm missing something we're missing something because yeah, yeah. how could you be so arbitrary yeah. to say that the line goes forever on let's say a triple mando exactly and then everyone everyone would have to go perfectly straight and if it's a restricted access area then yeah where where is it just a uh, no width wall that just it doesn't make sense so yeah. I, we're lost i, I mean we we could we could just ask someone who was there at the event um robert burridge about oh, it i was gonna perfect. say i think we have him in our virtual <laughs> green room i think we do perfect yeah. bring him in all righty oh there he is robert burridge what's up man can you hear us yeah i can hear you fine all right, we can hear you nice and wonderfully. Where are you at right now, Rob? I am at a Starbucks about 10 hours away from Des Moines right now. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, I think first thing we got to ask, is it Robert, Rob, Bob, what do you like to be called? <laughs> Usually I'm just called uh, called Robert, but I've gone by any variation of, uh, of the name. Okay, so if, if that's mostly what people call you, then I just want to make sure, because we've had people on mm -hmm. where we're like, you want to get their name right, obviously. So, Robert, incredible, yeah. incredible last weekend over at Des Moines. That was an incredible show you put on. Incredible playoff run to almost take down your first Elite Series event. Kind of just give us the, the highs and lows of the weekend. Talk to us about it. Um, I didn't really have... Any lows, I guess, starting there. I guess the biggest low I had was the skip off the tree stump, but even that was just, mm -hmm. just a bad break. Um, highs, you know, hitting the putt on three in the playoff, hitting the putt on 18 to force the playoff. Um, being able to push Simon to have to have to make the putt on four. Um, 
and just, you know, solid playing all around. I didn't realize I was seven down through nine in the final round. That was, that was a nice surprise when I look back. Um, but, you know, Simon played equally as good that last round, you know, he, and he did end up, you know, beating me. He deserved it. And it was, it was just fun to be a part of. Matt, Evan, do you guys want to? Okay. <laughs> I was, I was going to let you guys pitch in. Oh, right. I'll keep well, going. Ben, ben was texting me, like, how do I make his resolution better? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so here I, I think oh, I figured Robert, it out. Robert, great to, great to meet you this way. I just took a flight and landed. I'm on the road as well, but I had to get on for this interview. I was really impressed with your play. I like spectacular play going up against Simon, who uh, has unnatural abilities. And obviously, you have some some as well. And I think what stands out to me the most besides the consistent play to that point was the playoff and even more specifically, because we all saw how the first two went down, hole three, what was going through your mind on that putt? Was it like, I make this or it's over? Is that what you were thinking? I was, you know, I was thinking I can run this as hard as I want, knowing that uh, I probably wasn't going to roll OB unless I took some bad kick, bad roll. Um, I also knew Simon didn't have a, didn't have a gimme. I'd say it was probably 70, 70, 30 that he'd make it. So I, I gave it the best run I could snuck it in the, in the bottom left corner and, you know, gave myself a chance for the win, but Simon canned it and I was just, you know, fair play on to the next hole. All right. Yeah. And by the way, your name, Robert, my middle name's Robert and, uh, I think it's a special name. So keep up the good work. Uh, but to continue on the whole three putt, uh, it, it, it was a tough putt. And I'm sure as soon as you let go, you're like, okay, kind of let's see how this goes. But when did you know it was in? You kind of had a body movement about halfway through. I, I called an athletic crunch. I don't know what to call it, but you kind of, <laughs> you kind of squatted and you're like, it, to me, that was like, you knew it was in at that point, kind of at the halfway point of the flight of the putt. But when did you know? So I think going back to hole 12 as well, I had pretty much the same reaction um, on a jump putt where I jumped it and I was like, that has about, that's probably going in, but there's still a chance it won't. So I'm not going to run it in quite yet. Um, but I was, you know, out of my hand, I was, I was fairly sure it was going to hit some sort of metal and probably go in. Mm -hmm. um, I just, you know, there was a chance it wouldn't. So I didn't want to, run in yet there you go talk to me talk to me about what clicked this last weekend uh we were talking earlier in the show of ledgestone you had missed cast at ledgestone and then literally a one week turnaround you go and almost win an elite series event so just talk to us what you know what clicked this weekend so this weekend it was um it was the driving, you know, at Ledgestone, I just couldn't get off the tee, but I was putting really well. Mm -hmm. um, and I just sort of carried that over and played a little, a little more free knowing that once I got near the basket, I could make it from, from almost anywhere. And I think I ended top, I know I ended top, top 10 in uh, strokes gain putting. So that was, that was the game plan was get near it and make some putts. Okay, is my audio better, guys? Way better. Yes. Yep. There we go. Okay. Win for the iPhone. Hey, Robert, do you feel shafted or slighted or just like super unlucky with that stump on the whole four playoff? 
you know, it's, I feel really unlucky. I feel uh, more unlucky that it skipped behind a tree to where I couldn't really run it. Um, but it's how, it's how it works sometimes. And, you know, maybe next time I'll, I'll hit the side of the stump and kick next to the basket. Who knows? Has anybody, has anybody questioned your laying up that shot yet? I've seen some comments on Instagram, what but do you think? it was, if I ran that putt, it was going to be in the water because I, I wasn't really going to make it with the angle I had to throw it on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, just thought I'll park it and make Simon have to make a putt. I was just about to say, like, if you had to give yourself a possibility or, you know, a percentage chance of that putt going in, whether you had to hyzer it and hyzer it, like, what's your percentage of making that putt? Based on how I was feeling, I'd probably, I could probably make it about 15, 20% of the time, but the other 80%, it's rolling into the water. I was just about to say, so if you're aggressively making, trying to make that putt, like no matter what, you're probably going to go a B if you miss it in a sense. So we we were talking about that earlier, like, you know, almost where you, I I think you made the right play. And I think a majority of people would agree with that. I think kind of in the position that you were in now, if you had a, you know, a wide open putt and you laid it up, then people could be like, oh my gosh, why didn't he go for it? Because of the water. Mm -hmm. But like you had an obstructed putt. It wasn't a clean chance at it. You made the right play by laying it up. Um, People who are saying otherwise, I think, you know, just don't really know what it's like to be in that position. Mm -hmm. Um, Would, if, if you had ran it and went OB, do you feel like this loss would hurt a little bit more? Or do you think, the way you played it makes it kind of like you put the, you put the ball in Simon's court to where he needs to make that putt. And he just made it on that last shot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it hurts. I think it hurts less the way that it ended. You know, it mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. you know, if Simon was within 15, 20 feet and I laid it up, then it would have hurt more. Cause I know he's making that every time. Um, the way he was putting, he was probably going to make the putt he had every time. Yeah. But, you know, um, if I had ran it and gone OB, Simon would have just laid up since there's there's danger around that basket, and I wanted to make him have to make a throw. Yeah. Well, talk to us about, just really quick, talk to us. You know, you were an amateur last year is what people are kind of telling me, and then you're a pro mm-hmm. this year. You're accepting cash. You're playing great. You have an A-tier win. You've got a second place at an Elite Series event, which is insane. Um, talk to us about kind of what, what are your goals and ambitions in the disc golf world? So, you know, this year uh, through collegiates and this tournament, if I didn't get that, I plan on going to USDGC. I plan on going to Worlds, um, attempting to win uh, the PDJ Rookie of the Year. Um Get some eight, get some more uh, A-tier wins, get some good finishes at more elite series and majors. But next year I'll be on, on tour full-time um, and we'll just see where it goes from there. Mm-hmm. So you were sitting in about 150-something in the Disc Golf Pro Tour standings. With the second-place finish, you're up to 71, which means you are in a spot to play in GMC, but you're still outside a spot for MVP Open uh besides going for the win was that on your mind uh that you wanted to get in a position to play the playoff events 
So I had absolutely no idea that I would even get a chance to, no matter how I played, because I've played two, three events maybe on the on the tour at this point. Like I really haven't played insanely well either. Um, I also don't know if I'll be able to with school, so it really wasn't on my mind as a, you know, shoot well and you can do this type thing. Mm -hmm. So you're still in college right now? I am, yes. How many more years do you have? I graduate in December. Gotcha. Okay, all right. So you're on the back end. You're finishing up your, like December of this year? Yeah, December of this year. Nice. And then plans afterwards? You know, are you pursuing your major, whatever you're doing now, or are you pursuing the disc golf full-time? I'm going to go on tour for a year, and we'll make a decision based on that. Nice. Good for you. That's awesome. At least give it at least one Thank go you. with it. That's awesome. So, yeah, it, and knowing what school you, you go to is a pretty easy choice because I can just look at you winning the uh, collegiate uh, disc golf, disc golf national championship, excuse me. So you go to Michigan. Uh, talk to us about just disc golf at Michigan, like how you joined the team. Was that kind of when you started playing disc golf? Did you know when you're going to the school you were already going to join the team? Kind of explain through that. So going before I even went to college, really, I had a... Um, I think I started kind of getting a little bit better at disc golf. I started playing back in 2017, so kind of back end of high school. Um, and so I was starting to play more seriously, and I started the club with a couple other guys. Um, and then I was part of that, and I was part of the ultimate team, and just disc sports kind of became my life besides school. Mm-hmm. All right, I, I'm still here. I know they try to cut me out because I'm on the road now. But, <laughs> but uh, so Ultimate came up a few times like during the live feed and all that. And I'm not going to lie. I didn't know very much about you. I may have heard your name, and it, but you obviously made a big splash. Tell, tell everyone about it. Like Ultimate was your thing and then you discovered disc golf or how did that work? So both my parents played Ultimate uh, at pretty high levels. Um, so I've been able to throw a disc, at least an ultimate disc, pretty much my whole life. Um, and then I think I started playing disc golf again, like 2017-ish. Um, but I never really did either one competitively. And I guess I became more of a disc golfer before I became an ultimate player. Okay, cool. Absolutely. And um, I think you said your parents did that, so... Was that something they did when they were younger too? I mean, we had just interviewed like John Kirkland and Cody Kirkland recently, and Cody's like been really into Ultimate. Is this something they've been doing for a long time? So you grew up with it. Yeah. So when I was really young, I remember going to, um, going to watch my mom at like the World Championships for Ultimate. Like wow. they played at really high levels. Um, I remember just sort of being on the sideline and watching, watching it sort of go down and it was you know it was an experience and we got to travel to a few different places for it and it was it was a lot of fun um, but I've just been around this sort of spirit of the game type culture the like always wish the best for your opponent type culture my whole life wow uh really cool and I'll I'll give this last one and then toss it back over to the show is uh 
you were you're sponsored on Team Innova. Um, is that something that happened? You said 2017 you picked up disc golf, but or again or more fully. But what when was the team sponsorship thing happen for you? So I won the 2021 United States Amateur Championships, and basically less than a month after that, I was in contact with Innova to become part of the team. Cool. All right, guys, tossing it back to you for now. Cool. Um, my next question was, we were kind of talking about it right as you got on the show. And then for some other reason, we didn't extend the conversation. But talk to us on the lead card about the Mando situation that kind of happened and what ultimately led to the decision that was decided. And I guess, how do you feel about that rule? So before I say anything else, we did, you know, we looked at it as best we could and based on rules, uh, Simon was in the restricted space, even though I know on the card and I talked to a couple of the other players, we all think it's not necessarily the best rule. Um, and it should probably be changed back. Mm -hmm. That's not something for me to decide. Um, so what happened was he hit the left side Mando. He kicked through the Mando. And that's what he was asking on the tee was, did I make it? And we're like, yeah, you kicked through it. But whatever stroke of probably another tree branch, it kicked him back behind the arrow. The problem was the arrow was curved and about three feet long. And so we were just trying to decide what part of the arrow to go from and to. And so I think we ended up going from where the painted arrow starts to the tip, even though it was, even though it was curved and we couldn't give it to him based on that. Now gotcha. from when you guys decided how to interpret the arrow uh, and you kind of had your direction based off that, was it, was it pretty close or was it kind of obvious if that was the right plane to go off of? So I think if they're going to make restricted space, they have to, kind of as y'all were saying before I got on, they have to like make it way more clear, at least for some distance. Um, at least like if anything else, just flags, maybe not paint. Yeah. Um, but based on how we interpreted it, the only way it could be Simon's disc could have been in was if we used the first maybe like half foot of painted line um, to determine direction, but then it curved toward the basket, I guess, is the best way to describe it, and away from his disc. And so we couldn't give it to him based on the full, full arrow. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So definitely a weird situation. And, you know, it kind of came down to where Jeff Spring had to come over and kind of either second the call or kind of officially call it to where, you know, his he missed the Mando at that point, right? He, he definitely, like, we were talking to him about how the rules should be interpreted, how we should look at the arrow. And it really, there is no clear and obvious way to interpret it, but we had to make a call one way or another. Mm -hmm. And based on all of our interpretations of the rule, we, we couldn't quite give it to him. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, I guess my final question is, on a scale one to 10, how do you rate the outcome of like, like how do you rate the outcome of your weekend in a sense? Like, um, I, 
you know, I'd have to give it probably like an 11 or 12. I okay. don't really care that I didn't win. Okay. Um, you know, I'm sure you can see it on the live video. You can see it on Jomez. You can see it in the photos. I was having the time of my life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because I am, you know, if you look back at some of the, some of the other, other coverage I've been in, I do enjoy kind of being sort of a showman as well, kind of showing the crowd like, look, I can hang with these guys. Look, I can throw really far. I can putt well. You know, it's sort of one of those things that I really enjoy being on camera because it gives me a little extra extra boost, a little extra adrenaline. Mm -hmm. um, and so having that opportunity and, and capitalizing it was really, really fun. And this is, you know, the best best I've ever played at a at any tournament ever. Mm -hmm. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Definitely a better answer than I thought it was going to be. So that's great. Yeah. And uh, not just like your uh, opinion, but I mean, as far as cash goes, it definitely was your best tournament. Uh, your your total prize cash entering uh, this from your entire career was five thousand five hundred eighty four dollars. Uh, you earned seven grand uh, for this uh, Des Moines challenge. Uh, how does that money feel? Are there any plans for it? Uh, is it getting spent, saved, invested? How, however. It is definitely getting saved. Um, maybe spend to help pay for worlds where I'll be for over a week, but you know, gas money, <laughs> traveling money is always, it's nice to have some sort of insurance going, going into the next tournament. Mm -hmm. Okay. I have, I have my one question that I love to ask too, is just to get to know you a little bit better as a person is like, if disc golf were ultimate, like wasn't happening on any given weekend or you didn't have the ability to play it, what, what are you doing in your spare time? Like what was some other ambition maybe in your life or hobby that you do that you really enjoy? If, if I couldn't play it. Sure. Sure. Just like, what's your second thing? Like, Hey, I really like this a lot. What's something else? Um, I guess, you know, I don't know. It's taken up a lot of my time recently. I'm going to have to really think about that for a second. That's okay. How about like, uh, I don't know, a second thing. Some people say, oh, I like video games or I like reading or I like fishing or bicycling. Like, is there anything else that you mm -hmm. used to do before you found Frisbee? And I know your parents, like you grew up with it, but like, is there anything else that you really like? So what I used to do when I, I couldn't do that was uh, I used to play soccer extremely competitively. I used to be on like two teams for it. I'd go to a local field and just and just practice that and like run, just stay in shape, stay in physical shape, because it really helps my uh, my mental state because I know my body's not going to break down sort of as the round goes on. Yeah, and and ultimate and soccer both require extreme endurance for running, so uh, that's something that's a little different than disc golf. But anyways, cool. Thanks for sharing that. Of course. Well, Robert, if you got time, we'd love to play a game with new guests on the show. It's called Satter Fiction, presented by Stat Mando. And I'm going to uh, bow so, out. And I'm going right. to bow out, guys. Keep the show going. It was awesome meeting you. All right. <laughs> Take it easy, Matt. Bye. Peace. Uh, so we play this fun game, Statter Fiction. All it is is you, myself, and I think Ben, actually, will all play against each other. And they ask a question. We determine if it's Statter Fiction. And Evan is kind of the game master. All right, I got time. All right, Yay. sounds good. Let's roll it. Here we go. Stat or Fiction, presented by Stat Mando. 
All right. So like Nick was saying, I'll give a statement. Uh, you're going to tell me if it is a stat, as in it's true, or it's fiction, as it is false. Uh, and of course, if you get it right, you get a point, and we'll see who has the most points at the end. Uh, so getting into it, the True Bank Des Moines Challenge saw more total star frames than any other MPO elite or major this season. So of course, a star frame being the entire card got a birdie or better. Um, and so that across the whole entire field, across the whole entire tournament. So that is the True Bank Des Moines Challenge saw more total star frames than any other MPO elite or major this season. Starting off with Nick. Oh, that's tough. Uh, and that's throughout the whole weekend, huh? Whole weekend. That's such a crazy stat. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say stat. Bing. Me? Yep. Uh, all you, Ben. I'm also going to have to say stat. It just seems too currency of you to be fiction. All right, Robert, what do you think? I think it's a stat kind of going through the course in my head. There's a lot of holes that, that there could be a star frame on. All right. And this is a stat. You guys all saw through Obviously. it, which I'm a little bit surprised by uh, because this was only a three-round event, uh, considering the next best and the third best were both four-rounders and a, a lot of this top ten were four-rounders. But uh, we saw 78 star frames this weekend. The next best was Champions Cup with 69, Las Vegas Challenge with 67. Uh, so, I mean, incredible week. I mean, the course may be set up for that where there's yeah. a lot of, you'd say. I, I was, I was thinking Vegas, to be honest, when mm -hmm. I was thinking of like courses that are potential for that Vegas or Waco, but Waco was so windy this year. Yeah. Waco is actually fourth with 65. So, okay. There you go. That makes sense. But y'all got it. Uh, congrats. And on to the next one. So Robert, this one's about you. Robert Burridge is the lowest ranked. And so that's the not the best uh, in the official <laughs> rank for that week uh, player to ever podium at an elite or major. And of course that's not a dig. Uh, you only having so many events to earn uh, that placement at, uh, but Robert Burge is the lowest ranked player to podium at an elite or major. So Ben starting you off ben here. Starts. Um... <sighs> yeah, he, he seems low enough ranked. In my eyes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> he starts nodding like, yup, no. Uh, but I'm gonna Jeez, have to man. go I'm gonna have to go stat. I, I can't think of anyone else. I'm gonna have to go with stat as well. I have zero points right now, so I'm gonna say stat. So so this is huh? I was just going to say quickly, it's it's based off of uh, Statmando's official ranking. So you did have points going into it. Uh, I know maybe like others like UDIS or Disc Golf Pro Tour points may be different, but just to clarify there. I'll say I'll say stat as well. All right. Y'all leave no room uh, for uh, chances to gain points here. This is another stat. Another yeah, give better questions, Kearns. This is your whoa, fault. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Come on but, now. It's too easy. Okay. All right, sorry about that. But yeah, that's not meant to be a dig, Robert. Of course, it's uh, you had an incredible it's impressive. weekend. You were 296th entering this weekend. Of course, only had, you had what was it? Three Disc Golf Pro Tour events and a uh, MPO Major entering this event. So 
only so many to get points off of. The next highest was actually Willie Prince uh, from 2018 mm. D-Glow. He mm. was 161st entering that week. Uh, but all right, here we go. Into the final <laughs> question, all tied up. Uh, Katrina Allen finished outside the top 10 for only the fifth time in our entire career from PDGA FPO events. So Ooh. Katrina Allen finished outside the top 10. See, this is a good question, Evan. There we go. In her career from all PDGA FPO events. And tough. Robert, we're starting with you for this round. I'm going to say, I'm going to say stat. Oh, is Evan going to do a stat, stat, stat tonight? There's no way, right? He sometimes Evans does. can't do a stat, stat, stat. Um, I, I'm I gonna, thought about that. I'm going to go fiction. I'm going to go fiction. Oof. Trina Allen, she's been playing for a while. Somebody is going to at least take the lead here, Ben. So which side are you going to be on? Uh, you went stat, stat, stat maybe three weeks ago. Um, oh my goodness, <laughs> I'm gonna go. Hmm, fiction. All right, this is a fiction. Uh, it's actually only the third time she has been outside the top 10 uh, at a PDG event in FPO. Um, being Des Moines Challenge, throw pink last year, and the 2018 Glass Blown Open for the only times it has ever happened. That's actually so, wild. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's impressive. impressive. That's yeah, stupidly ever. insane. Yeah, and uh, interesting thing, she's cashed in each one of those times that she finished outside the top 10. Yeah. Hmm. So, so well, but, Give us a quick tiebreaker if you got one. All right, so, uh, oh, I said a few of those. Uh, let's go this. Um, we saw Logan Harpool was <laughs> the most recent, uh, kind of higher or lower ranked player to get a podium this year. What was his, uh, Statmando official rank going into that event when he finished third at Dynamic this open? It's less than 296. Is that how many One, players there are? That, that's he would have just made Robert Robert beat it is the point so 148 all right and this is the closest to get uh to it with it doesn't have to be without going over not prices right yeah I, I, the closest. I'll just do I'll, I, I'm going over so I'll do 147 or no no what is 149 that's, that's the under 149 <laughs> oh my goodness Ben's being that kind of guy wait you uh, said it's close I mean might as well whatever all right Robert, you're not a part of the tiebreaker, but do you have a guess for what Logan Harpool's rank was before that event? I guess his rank for the event was like 102. All right. Well, Robert would have won the tiebreaker, uh, but it does go to Nick. Uh, he was at 128. So, Nick, you're 20 spots away. Uh, yeah, but, Good job, Nick. But, yeah, I mean, incredible all around. I mean, with the, how big the field's getting in and uh, – it is pretty impressive. But, Robert, I will say you moved up 228 spots in the official ranking. Uh, got a lot of points from that second-place finish. You're now 68th. So nice. very respectable. So congrats on that. Very Thank impressed. You. I wish I could yeah. do that tomorrow. 
Well, Benny, bring us out of the screen. Let's go back to the normal screen. Boom. And Robert, we've taken up enough of your time. Is there anyone, anything that we missed tonight or anyone that you want to shout out before you head out? Uh, I just want to shout out my sponsors, uh, Anima Disc and Gorilla Disc Golf. You know, they've, they've been with me basically my entire pro career. Um, and the guys that, especially over at Gorilla, the, you know, small, small hometown shop in Houston, uh, I think they also sponsor Lisa Fakus, Garrett Gurthy. You know, they're they're growing a little bit right now, and it's it's really good to see. And I was glad I could uh, I can make a good showing for them. Awesome, very cool. Well, Robert, you seem like an awesome dude. Best of luck over at Worlds, and uh, great luck, and we'll see you out there. Thank you. All right, drive safe, guys. See you. Yep. Peace. Oh, he did fast. He said, see you later. Oh, yeah. No, normally, they stick around for a little bit. So. <laughs> yeah, normally they do. Yeah. Anyways, that was uh, Robert Burridge. Incredible finish this last week over at Des Moines. <laughs> and, uh, guys, we've kind of we've talked about disc golf for the last hour and a half. Had an awesome game. Um, I'm down in Nashville right now. I'm going to be practicing down here, hanging out with my girlfriend for a little while. And then this weekend, I'm headed out to Emporia, Kansas for the World Championships. And I have excitement. And I'm also not super thrilled to play the courses that we're playing but whatever it's worlds just I'm super excited to go over that attitude yeah i'm just excited to go back and compete at worlds you know i i'd like to do better than how i did last year and that's kind of where i'm looking at it like nick you're a hucker don't let anyone tell you otherwise yeah exactly but anyways um last thing that we did want to do really quick is just thank one of our other sponsors tonight dg max wax they've been incredible to us this whole year um, people have been hitting me up all the time. I see people out in New York, the tournament that I was just at, using the DG Max Wax, especially the little snap sticks. Go on to dgmaxwax.com, use code Nick and Matt. You get 10% off your order. It's incredible. It smells good. We talk about it every single week. Go check it out. Uh, thank you all for being here tonight on the Nick and Matt show. We're actually going to cut it out here and um, tell someone you love them this week. Don't forget to subscribe, like, comment, all those fun things. We'll catch you in the next one. Nick, you're awesome. Ben, you're awesome. Evan, you're extra awesome. I love you. Whoa, See you later. Thanks, man. <laughs> Peace. The Nick and Matt Show, a disc golf podcast designed for you, the disc golfer. Find the Nick and Matt Show on your favorite podcast platforms or join the conversation live on YouTube.